Hey, welcome to the North Shore Vineyard Audio Podcast. I'm Crispin Schroeder. Today on the podcast, we have part two of our series on the book of Philippians. This message was delivered on January 23rd in downtown Covington. It's called Partners in the Gospel. I would encourage you, if you didn't catch last week's message, go ahead and listen to that one before this one if you get a chance, because being that these are kind of in order, they you'll find some relating aspects from week to week. Also, we do have some devotionals on our website, northshorevineyard.org, under Resources and Homework, that you can check out Monday through Friday that will kind of dig into some of the aspects that we have covered on the talk today. So... Without further ado, let's head to North Shore Vineyard for Partners in the Gospel. Thanks for listening. We're going to continue our 45-part series on, uh, on the, <laughs> the book of Philippians. Uh, we're, we're only one week into it. Um, but today we're going to cover a whopping three verses uh, from the first chapter of Philippians. So uh, we're going to put it up on the screen and I'll read it out. The Apostle Paul writing to the Philippian church says this, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Lord, this morning as, as we look into your word, let us, let us be attentive to what you're saying. God, let your word um, bring truth to our hearts and freedom to our lives and, and set us free to follow you even more. In Jesus' name. I have several friends of mine that I would call proud fathers. One of them's Barry. Barry just had a little boy, uh, Gra- actually his wife just had a little boy, uh, uh, Grayson, about two months ago, three months ago now, wow. And it, it was funny, when I visited Barry in the hospital, um, you know, I was there like a day or so after, and he, he had his iPhone out, and he's like, you know, He's showing me 30, you know, he'd already taken like 30 pictures. Every person that had come in there, hold my baby, and he'd take a picture. And, and uh, he was, he was a, just a, the, the epitome of a proud father. He was just going on and on, isn't he great? You know, he's going to just uh, be an awesome kid. But I also know, I also know fathers who are proud fathers who, whose kids have grown up, who, who aren't children anymore. I, there's a friend of mine down in Kenner, and every time I get with him, he just goes on and on about his son, because he's happy that his, his son is, is doing good, because it, it wasn't always that way. There was a time in his late teenage years where he started making a lot of bad decisions and bad choices and, and started uh, getting in with the wrong kinds of things, ended up addicted to uh, over-the-counter, you know, I mean, to, to prescription pills, and his life began to kind of spiral downward. And then he, he got to a point where at the bottom he ended up going into rehab and, and was able to turn the corner. And shortly after that, he 
joins the Navy, and now here he is a few years into it. He's, he's become a nuclear engineer. I mean, he's, he's a, a smart kid. He's, he's actually doing great things with his life. And so why do I tell you that? Did he write it all down? No, because every time I get with this guy, he tells me. <laughs> He's a proud father. L- listen to what my boy's doing. I'm excited to see that he was once lost, <laughs> but now he's found. He's, he's, he's heading the right way. He's doing good. He's a proud father. Well, what we find in the book of Philippians today, we find Paul writing like a proud father. Do you notice that line? He's like, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Like Paul is just like, every time I think about you guys, I'm just overwhelmed with joy. And, and, and I, I pray for all of you. And, and I just, you get this sense that Paul is just, you know, out of all the churches, and you can certainly see this in the New Testament, out of all the places that Paul writes about and writes letters to, and he wrote a lot of letters to a lot of churches. You don't get the sense of joy that you find in Philippians. Philippians, that church has a special place in his heart. He's like a spiritual father uh, looking at, a, 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 at kind of his offspring, so to speak, and he's just proud. You guys, you make me happy. Paul writes these, these words to the Philippians. He writes them from a very long way away. Uh, the, the letter to the Philippians actually comes after Paul is actually visited by a guy named Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was sent by the Philippian church. They found out Paul is in prison. And so they send, they take up a collection there. They all pull their resources together and they said, let's help Paul. Let's help the one who started this church here years ago. Let's, let's make sure that he's taken care of in his prison stay. Because as I said last week, if you were in Roman prison, you were in trouble if you didn't have somebody on the outside who could bring you food because you, you would die a long death of starvation. There was no prisoner's rights. There was no uh, three meals a day. It was, it was rough. So the Philippian church, they get this guy Epaphroditus and uh, they, they send him over there. So Paul, the classical view for most, most biblical scholars is that Paul was imprisoned actually in Rome, a Roman prison in Rome. So I, w- I want to show a map today up here on the screen. Uh, this is Philippi right here, this green dot. This is, a, I got a, a Latin map, so all this stuff is kind of written in uh, Roma. That would be Rome, okay? Just wanted to translate that for you. <laughs> Roma, Philippi. Now, to put this distance into to scale, has, has anybody driven across Texas before on, on I-10? Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> it never ends. And these Texans, you know, I, I, I am a Texan. Uh, I can still claim Texas citizenship. I've got dual citizenship here. Uh, <laughs> Texans are the worst when it comes to Texas pride. We, we actually made that trip. We drove... We, I'll never do it again. Uh, we, we drove back in June to a conference out in Phoenix, and we drove all the way from here to Phoenix, and, and that was nuts. We actually drove nonstop from Phoenix back to here. And, uh, but when you get into Texas, Texans just love to, to talk about how they're bigger than everybody else and better. And, and so probably 10 miles into Texas, you see the sign that says El Paso, uh, 760 miles. <laughs> 
And you know they're just gloating. It's like nobody, nobody coming in there cares how far El Paso is. Like, oh, let's get something to eat in El Paso 15 hours from now. Uh, but that's, if you were to drive from Lake Charles, Louisiana to El Paso, Texas, the distance would be roughly the same as Philippians, Philippi to Roma. You're, you're looking at about 800 miles. Now, that may not seem that much to us because you can actually make that journey in, in a day. Um, but back in, in this day and age, your only way to get from Philippi to Roma <laughs> was to either travel by boat, which this, this route through all these little bays and islands and stuff, this was a very treacherous sea journey. We actually find, if you read the book of Acts, Paul actually uh, gets shipwrecked at one point. So you could either take a boat, and it would take several months to get there, or you could go by land. But, but neither way was, was exactly a, a quick journey. It would take a long time to get there. And whether you were traveling by foot or by land, if you were traveling by foot, you had the, the danger of getting robbed because you're going through some places where there's people that just hang out in these desolate places and waiting for people to come by with money. Epaphroditus would have had a, a large sum of money that he'd be bringing to Paul to take care of him. So we see that to get to Paul, it was a perilous journey, a long journey. And then not only that, but Epaphroditus was visiting an enemy of the state. You know, last week I said, you know, Paul didn't get locked up from, for doing anything that we would consider wrong in, in a sense. Like, you know, he wasn't stealing, killing people. But according to the, to the Roman government, he was an insurgent. You know, he was, he was one who was doing something that if it caught on, it, it could threaten Rome. And Rome wasn't big about being threatened. There's a, 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 a phrase that we're going to see pop up more frequently in Philippians than uh, just about any book in the New Testament. And it's the phrase of uh, referring to Jesus as Christ, the Messiah. And a lot of times you're going to find in, in Philippians that, that it's linked to um, Christ uh, having the sole privilege of being the Kyrios in Greek, which means Lord. We find that the term Christ is linked to Lord all the time in Philippians. We also find that the term Christ is linked to another Greek word called sotir, which means Savior. You ever, the phrase Lord and Savior, you ever heard that before? Well, you know, the Christians didn't make that up. That was actually the way that they would refer to the, to the Roman Empire, emperor. Caesar at that time was considered to be divine, they thought he was the son of God. And so any, any public gathering that would, that would happen in the Roman Empire, any, any kind of thing that would, would start with uh, kind of the way we start our football games with singing the national anthem, or you may start school with the Pledge of Allegiance, the equivalent of that would be referring to Caesar as Lord and Savior. This kind of put the Christians at odds because Paul gathers a group of people together and he says, no, Caesar is not Lord and Savior. And you know the Caesar at that time when, when he's writing Philippians? It was a really crazy dude named Nero. You've probably heard about Nero before. Um, Nero was n known to uh, like crucify Christians and, and catch them on fire for his dinner parties. I mean, just as evil, sadistic as you could think of. But... Paul comes along and says, no, Caesar's not Lord. My allegiance is not to the Roman Empire. 
said, Jesus is Lord and Savior. See, we can say Jesus is Lord and Savior nowadays, and nobody's going to disagree with us. You know, I mean, people may not agree with Jesus, but it's not going to get you in trouble. Understand, back in that day, Jesus is Lord and Savior, that was a political statement. It was, it was a powerful thing. You were saying, my allegiance is to Jesus as king, Jesus as the authority of my life. I am part of his kingdom. My citizenship is there first. So understand that when Epaphroditus was visiting Paul, think about how crazy that would be. You've, you've made this tremendous journey. You got this bag of gold or whatever that, that you're taking to Paul. And, and somehow you've happened to survive. You haven't been attacked or robbed. You made the sea journey, whatever. You, you're finally getting close and you can see that Roman prison. And now, now you're, you're starting to shake a little. <laughs> now it's taking real courage because you know that when you visit Paul in prison, you're visiting an enemy of the state and you're going to be recognized as a supporter of an enemy of the state. You know that if things don't go right, they could easily lock you up. And so Epaphroditus makes it all that way and brings a gift. And what we see in these verses, we'll, we'll look into the gift probably a little bit later on. It's mentioned on a few, few occasions. But Paul is overwhelmed with joy at this gift because he knows the cost of it. He knows what it, it took to get there. He knows that the Philippian church, they, they weren't the richest church around. I mean, heck, they were probably one of the only churches around. But they weren't made up of, you know, the, the, the richest people. Paul actually refers to his gift. It's interesting. The Philippian church, he actually mentions them to other churches. <laughs> He's so proud of them. 2 Corinthians 8, Paul, writing to the Corinthian church, says, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. That would be Philippi. In the midst of a very severe trial, in the midst of just really going through it, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty have welled up with generosity. <laughs> their poverty and their joy <laughs> have welled up in generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. Paul didn't do a 10-week series on, on why you need to give more. They came up with this, their joy, their poverty mixed together, and they just got generous. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Like, Paul, please, please, let us give some more. Let us give. We, we, we want to give to what you're doing. And Paul says, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. Paul is in this Roman prison. He gets a visitor all, from 800 miles away and he's overwhelmed at joy that, you guys, you remembered me. Oh, I've been here all alone. I hadn't been eating good. My, my clothes are, are withering away, and you guys, you could have done anything else, but you come all that distance, and you show me this amazing love. And Paul was overwhelmed with joy at that gift, but I think even more, Paul was overwhelmed with joy because of what that gift indicated. You know what that gift showed Paul? These guys get it. They get it. 
They're not playing around. They're actually experiencing the life of Jesus, and it's changing them. They went from just being a scattered group of people in Philippi, and now they're starting to, to remind me of Jesus. They're doing things sacrificially. They're going above and beyond. They're showing an amazing love, not because I'm there beating them over the head each week, telling them how much they got to love, how much they got to give, but they're actually connected to God now, and God's doing something in them. Paul talks in these verses about the beginning, he that began a good work. I want to talk a little bit this morning about the beginning of the good work of the Philippian church. You can actually see the, how the church started by looking at Acts 16. Acts 16, 11, uh, Luke is writing this. He's traveling with Paul at this time. He says, from Troas, we, we traveled, we put, put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next day we went on to Neapolis. And from there, we traveled to Philippi a Roman colony and the leading city of that district in Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. And she was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house, and she persuaded us. Paul had this, this way of, of, you know, his typical mode of operation was when he would come into a, a new city for the first time, he would try to find the, the kind of Jewish believers, those who, they weren't necessarily Jewish, but they were followers of, of Judaism. Uh, and, and certainly these, these people were probably uh, non-Jewish followers of Judaism who had some kind of idea that there was this one God, they were worshipers. But, but Paul would often find these people, find their synagogue, and then he would come and say, you've heard the story up to this point, let me catch you up on what God's doing. He sent his own son, Jesus to, to, to bring us into the kingdom, to break down the walls of separation, to, to show us life and truth. And this is the good news. You have access to it today. Well, Paul, he's looking around for a gathering of, uh, like that in Philippi, and he finds down by the river there's, there's a group of women, <laughs> and they're praying. And so Paul, Paul introduces them to Jesus, and it says their hearts were opened, and they received God right there. This was the planning of the church at Philippi. It's interesting to note that, that the, uh, the church in Philippi was initially started with a group of women. In, uh, it, actually, in Macedonia at that time, it was, it, it was more common for women to have a significant role in public life than in most other areas of the Greco-Roman world. So we find the, the initial kind of leaders of the church, it's a group of women. The, the chief being uh, Lydia. She was a dealer in purple cloth. <laughs> Reading these verses, it leads us to believe it, it actually lists, lists her as the head of her household. That, that doesn't mean that she was, uh, that, that's actually kind of a, a term that, that she was probably a bit of a, a, a prominent businessman, in, a business, businesswoman <laughs> in her community. She, she got things done. And so Paul is saying, he who began that good work with you down at the river outside of 
Philippi that started with just a, a little prayer meeting over there. He that began with you right there that, that, that got you into his kingdom, he's going to finish that work. You know, a, a key term that, that we find introduced in, in these verses today is, the, is uh, the term partnership. Paul says, because, he, he said, I rejoice, I'm overflowing with, with grace, uh, with joy because of your partnership. Now this is, if you're going to understand Philippians, uh, if you're going to get the context of it, this is one of the most uh, important terms that you're going to find. There's a word that that Paul uses in Greek called koinonia. Sometimes it's referred to as fellowship, but really the term actually had more to do with partnering together to get something done. I'm, I'm starting a partnership with, with Mike to, to do things in Haiti. So I'm, I'm going to help support him. We're going to pull our resources. We're going to talk about it. We're, we're going to see how we can get things done over there. That's kind of the idea. So Paul, when he writes about the partnership, it's, it's kind of like a business partnership. The Philippians are partners in the gospel. They're partners in grace. They're in the gospel business. They're in the grace business. And along with Paul, their gift to him, they're in that jail. It proves that they're holding up their end of the partnership. <laughs> hey, man, we're, we know uh, things have come up right now. You're not able to operate to the fullest of your extent. So, hey, we're remembering our side of the partnership. We're sending you this gift. And the next thing that, that, that Paul goes on to say is, is that he has confidence He has confidence. I have confidence that the one who began the good work in you will pull it off. For those of you who have children, sometimes when you're around your own kids, you don't notice how much they're growing up. Whereas your relatives who only see them a couple of times a year are like, dang, what are you feeding these kids? They're just growing up like crazy. Sometimes in our own life, we can't see growth, can we? Unless we're getting fat. Then we see that, right? <laughs> oh, dang. Wish we, wish we could be blind to that. <laughs> uh, but we can't see the growth in our own lives many times, can we? I, I remember a few years ago, Dina, she would just, she would get so bummed out. She's like, man, I've been a Christian all these years, and I feel like I'm struggling with the same things. This, this situation sets me off, or, or this does that. And, and, and I would frequently say, well, well let's, let's just retrace your steps a bit. Let's see how far you've come in the last year. Remember last year? Remember two years ago. Remember 10 years ago. Remember what you would have done there. Remember how you would have acted. You're not that person anymore. You've changed. Sometimes we need people outside of us to remind us of that, huh? Because... Sometimes people outside of us have, have, have a bit better perspective. They can see the growth in our lives better than we can. Paul has the confidence that God is going to finish his work in them because he sees evidence. He's out there stuck in this prison. And this very gift, this report that Epaphroditus brings, it's evidence to Paul that, wow, <laughs> this is amazing. What started with a handful of women down by a river, now it's taken off. 
Now it's a community of people who are coming around God. You're going through trials. You're going through tribulations. You've got the Roman government persecuting you. You've got people fighting inside the church. But in spite of all of that, in spite of all the things that you don't even think are good about yourself and you just wonder, are we growing at all? Are we making it? Are we getting it? Paul's saying, wow, I am confident you guys are going to make it. You, you guys are all right. God's going to do this. Same God that, that, that you met down there by the river. He's going to bring this thing to pass. See, for Paul, the idea of salvation was always linked with transformation. I think too often nowadays we kind of think of salvation as, oh, I, you know, I just need to pray a prayer so I can get to heaven when I die. But that, that's not salvation. Not in Paul's mind. Salvation means that your life begins to change. It may be slow. <laughs> you may not be where you want to be three weeks into it or three years or, or, or 15 years into it, but your life begins to change. Paul says, I have confidence that he who began a good work in you will finish it. He's going to see this thing through. I think this morning, you know, there's, there's probably folks in here who... You know, you, you may feel that about yourself. You may feel like, man, I just feel like I've been here before. <laughs> I, I feel like after all these years, I, I thought at some point that, that, that I might out, outgrow this aspect, that, that at some point I might not have to struggle with this. And, and it's been 15, 20, 30 years. But he who began a good work in you is going to be faithful. Understand what Paul's getting at here is, Paul's not saying, the good work that I started with you guys, God's going to finish. <laughs> yeah, Paul introduced him to God, but it's the work of God. God's doing it. It's a work of God's grace, and he's going to bring it to pass. He's going to bring transformation. And Paul has that kind of confidence. You know, the, a, a few weeks ago, we are at the house. Um, one, one night, Tevia was, was really kind of struggling with some things. You know, she was just, she was upset about some stuff. And, uh, you know, we had one of our family meetings where we were talking about things in, in her bedroom. And um, Dina and I ended up putting her to bed after we talked forever. And uh, uh, we headed in the other room and watched TV. And, and that night, later that night when we were coming to our bed, I noticed on, on my, uh, my pillow and Dina's pillow, Tevi had written a scripture verse, you know. Uh, she had written something from Isaiah for me and something from something else for, for Dina. And, uh, and, and, you know, as a parent, that blessed me. Because I, 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 we weren't trying to tell her, you know, to study scriptures or memorize things or whatever. You know, there was, it's like she did that. That was her expression. I think that's the way Paul feels in this letter. He, he sees the sign that God is, 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 is bringing ch change. He's bringing transformation. You get it. You're going to make it. 
I know you're going through hard things right now. You're going through all kinds of trials that you're like, man, this, this isn't what, I didn't think I signed up for this. I thought that, that, that things were going to get easier as I followed Jesus. But it, it, it seems the, the, the other thing is happening. It seems like I'm having harder times with relationships. I'm having harder times with people. It seems like the enemy is hitting me from all sides. Paul says, you're going to make it. You guys are going to make it. I see what God is doing. You may not be able to see it right now, but I see it, and I'm confident God's going to bring it to pass. I think that's a word for you this morning. You know, you, you may be going through it. There may be things that are trying you desperately right now. But the one who started this thing with you, you're not off his radar. He hadn't given up on you. He's not, you know, too busy taking care of the, the rest of the world to, to help you. He's with you, and he's going to see this thing to pass. You are going to be changed. You are being changed. You may not notice it right now, but he is with you. So this morning, just want to close by, by just saying a little prayer here and just opening up our hearts to, to, the, real, to the realization that, that God's grace holds us. Just like that song we sang earlier, all I have is you. Your love will lead me on when all else seems to fail. When all else seems like it's gone, you are with me. And this morning I can have confidence in that. No matter what it looks like, you are with me and you are in this. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for bringing us into your story. God, I thank you this morning that no matter how it may look to us, no matter what difficulties we may be facing, facing whether financially, relationally, with our jobs, problems with emotions, problems with, with kids, or no matter what we may be facing, God, you are with us, and we can have confidence that you are going to continue the good work you started in us, God. You are going to change us. You are going to have your way, and there's nothing that can get in the way of what you're trying to do in our hearts, not even our own failures not even our own disappointments. Lord, this morning, we ask for the grace to be aware of that, for the grace to live in that reality. Lord, I pray every thought that, that, that comes against that, God, would just be uh, cast away, Lord. Lord, you'd free our minds and our hearts to, to live in the reality of what you're doing. Lord, just continue your work in, your, in our lives, God. We just say, have your way, Lord. Continue what you started, your work of grace. In Jesus' name, amen.